information, ideas, events, goods, and services. On newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. Hi, Darwin Davidson here. This week I'll bring you the last two interviews that I did at the recent IBMA World of Bluegrass. First will be my interview with Brandon Rickman, and then the band of very young musicians, Echo Valley. Both artists have new albums recently released, and as always, there will be some new releases that have come into the station, and probably a few tracks from my old Bluegrass LP collection. So please join me Thursday, December 6th from 8 to 10 p.m. for another very special Bronze Round. And it'll all be right here on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. See you Thursday. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from George Stevens Academy, welcoming students to discover their world. More information at georgestevensacademy.org. It's about 10 seconds before the hour of 10 o'clock. Time for Main Currents on WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming all over the place at weru.org. 10 o'clock at WERU in Orland, Maine. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown, and today we are going to be talking about ranked choice voting, Bruce Poliquin's legal challenges to the process and the outcome, and what would be involved in getting ranked choice voting extended to the statewide races. My guests today are Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters, and you also know her as the host of Democracy Forum, the Democracy Forum here on WERU. And reading from their mission statement, uh, the League of Women Voters of Maine is a nonpartisan political organization that encourages informed and active participation in government, works to increase understanding of major public policy issues, and influences public policy through education advocacy. They endorsed ranked choice voting back in 2011 and have been working to educate the public about how it works. So thanks for joining me on the other side of the table this weekend. (laughs) So fun to be here, Amy. Thanks for asking me. And uh, John Brodigam is a senior advisor and counsel for the League of Women Voters of Maine, as well as a former uh, assistant attorney general and state representative. Thanks for joining us today, John. Good morning. Good to be here. And also here in the studio is Kathleen McQuaid. She's a professor or a professor emeritus of political science and has a Ph.D. in political science from Temple University, as well as being a member of the Hancock County Dems and a supporter of adopting ranked choice voting for all levels of elections, both here in Maine and nationally. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you. Good morning. We will also be joined uh, during this half hour uh, by Kyle Bailey, the campaign manager for the Yes on One and Yes on Five campaigns to both win and then later protect Maine's ranked choice voting election laws. He'll be on the phone in a few minutes. And we will also, in the second half hour, we're hoping to hear from Professor Amy Freed, the chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Maine, and from Attorney Kim Tucker, who worked for the Florida Attorney General during the Bush-Gore election crisis and helped draft the Attorney General Supreme Court brief, uh, both of whom, along with John Brodigam and I, were at the uh, hearing yesterday where uh, Poliquin's challenge is being heard by the U.S. District Court in Bangor. About 10.30, we plan to open a phone line for callers to call in with your questions and comments. I highly recommend these folks. I got to pick their brains yesterday. They were really helpful in court explaining what was going on for a layperson there witnessing it. So great people to ask your questions to or just listen to and get some uh, rundown of what's happening. So let's start with the U.S. District Court in Bangor yesterday. Uh, You probably heard on the news already that the judge will be ruling next week on what he heard yesterday. Uh, And while much of the federal government was shut down, they stayed open because they felt like that case was important enough to do that. So John Brodigan, why don't you start? You were there yesterday. Uh, can you give a summary of what yesterday was about and uh, how you think it went? Yeah, sure. So this was the second hearing um, in front of the district court judge in Bangor. Um, the first hearing was the uh, ruling of the hearing and consideration of a, a temporary restraining order, which the court denied. And um, that was shortly after the election. 
And then uh, now there's been a little bit more time for everybody to put together their legal arguments and their facts and come into the court. So the court had a a little bit more uh, leisurely consideration of the issues um, to decide on whether or not to grant an injunction. Um, And at the same time, the parties all agreed that they would consider this the sort of final ruling on the case um, at the district court level. So what happened in court yesterday was that the plaintiffs, um, uh, Congressman Poliquin and his team presented an expert witness um, to talk about some of the theories about ranked choice voting and how voters react to the ballot with, uh, with the ranking opportunity on it. And uh, that witness testified for about an hour, and then he was cross-examined by the defendant's attorneys, um, and the judge asked a few questions as well. Um, and that was uh, pretty much the extent of the evidence that was introduced in the case. Uh, following that, there was a brief um, argument on the, uh, the law, and um, both sides urged the judge to rule in their favor, and the judge um, listened attentively to the arguments and said he would issue a decision next week. Um, so I think at the end of the day, there wasn't a whole lot uh, new that was presented to the judge, um, and I, I think there was not a lot of reason for the judge to change his ruling from uh, the temporary restraining order ruling uh, earlier in November. You said the parties have agreed this will be the final ruling. Are you saying that uh, Poliquin and the co-defendants on that side are saying that they will not appeal? It's it's the final ruling in the district court. It's the final ruling in the trial court. Um, So what they're saying is that on the preliminary injunction, they will consider that to be the ruling on the entire case. And that, that actually sets up the case for possible appeal if they decide to do that. And if they decide to appeal, it would then go to uh, the circuit court in Boston, and then if they wanted to appeal further, the next step would be the Supreme Court typically is the route it would go? Yeah, that's right. And it's important to note that the appeal to the circuit court in Boston is something that um, is fairly common, and the circuit court Um, routinely accepts those appeals and considers the case and issues a ruling. Um, The United States Supreme Court is quite different. The United States Supreme Court only accepts a small fraction of the cases that are brought to the court. So there's no no automatic consideration at the U.S. Supreme Court. It's entirely discretionary, and it's fairly unusual. I I think people have expressed some concerns that uh, since this uh, district court judge is a recent Trump appointee and also with the Supreme Court being the way it is that uh, that might influence how this goes. But there's also been some optimism expressed on behalf of people who want to protect right and choice voting based on the uh, initial opinion the judge gave to the temporary restraining order uh, at the previous uh, hearing. It, it, we're going to come down on that, and then I'd like to hear from Ann and, and Kathleen as well. I have nothing but um, very positive things to say about this judge. He's very um, well-prepared, very thoughtful. Um, I do not um, subscribe to any of those ideas that he is biased in any way, shape, or form. I, I think he is very diligent and is giving full consideration to all of the arguments. He did so have I, a great I sense just, of humor, too. He actually had the courtroom <laughs> laughing a couple times. Yes, he did. He did. He's a very uh, expressive judge, uh, but, I, again, very thoughtful. His first ruling in uh, the written ruling um, produced in less than two days was incredibly um, detailed and thorough and uh, just a very uh, strong piece of legal writing. So I, I think uh, this judge is really giving this a very fair, thorough consideration. All right. I'm going to talk to Ann and Kathleen, but I want all three of you to just jump in and weigh in on any of these points. So at any, so this is conversational at any point in time, don't worry about interrupting. Uh, So backing up to just the challenge in general, what is it that Poliquin is trying to accomplish? He, He wants to get the results thrown entirely or get a new election in? Well, it sounds like he's asking the judge in the case that you were just talking about to order a new election. I, I think 
John would back me up when I say that would be a very unusual outcome. Very rarely would a judge go so far as to order a new election. So that would be a pretty surprising and unusual outcome. Um, it, you know, I mean, I haven't spoken to Paula Quinn or his people. Um, you know, it does seem like they're willing to exhaust all the options. You know, the recount, is, the hand recount is beginning at the recount center in Augusta today, and that's likely to go on probably through Christmas, you know, but, you know, through the end of the year. It's going to take a long time. It's a big undertaking and has a very small chance of changing the outcome at all. And, uh, you know, they're willing to put up the money to go through that as well. So it seems like the Poliquin campaign is willing to exhaust all the options to discredit the election or to change the outcome, even those with a very low probability of success. You know, I don't know why. Um, there was some speculation on Maine Public over the weekend. The reporter Steve Missler said he thought that um, that some hardline Republicans viewed ranked choice voting as an existential threat to extreme conservatism and that they may be willing to really go to the mat as they apparently are because they think they will not be able to win elections with a hardcore platform if ranked choice voting becomes prevalent. I mean, I don't know whether that's true, but that was the reporting that we saw. Kathleen, um, I'm wondering uh, how you can address the issue of the strategy of having the hand recount and yet somewhat suggesting that regardless of the outcome of the hand recount, we'll go in another direction and continue to object to the election result. That seems uh, that they're undermining their own case mm. by making that, taking those positions, if that's the positions they're really taking. I mean, I, I don't really know how he, I mean, the the case he's made against ranked choice voting in principle in court is sort of one thing. You know, the case he's making in the recount is to say that the ballots weren't counted properly. Mm-hmm. I think the evidence that we've seen from other jurisdictions where the margin of a victory was more than 1% as it is in this case. I mean, it would be common to see a few ballots flip, mm-hmm. a dozen, two dozen ballots flip, but they would have to see thousands of ballots flip. And I, I think that's just very, very unlikely to happen without some massive malfunction. And we've seen no evidence of a massive malfunction. The other thing is that when the Secretary of State was going through the ranked choice voting count in the first place, they hand-examined many of the loose ballots that would be part of the fluidity in a recount otherwise. So a lot of the adjudication that would normally happen in a hand recount has already been done, meaning that the results we have are even more solid than they would have been um, in, a, in a normal election. So that just decreases the chances that the recount is going to overturn the original um, result. John, yesterday in court, the expert witness was focused a lot on the roughly 8,200 voters that voted for either uh, Tiffany Bond or, is it William Hoare, who didn't choose a second or third choice. They didn't rank vote. They just chose them and uh, had their, you know, since their first choices came in third and fourth, they were eliminated uh, they focused on disenfranchisement and uh, saying that uh, people's voters' right, voting rights were being um, abused in this case. How can you explain that argument and how that compares to if you threw the race out entirely and started over? I mean, isn't that disenfranchisement of everyone? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, first of all, it's important to point out that the voters handled the ranked choice voting ballot very well. The statistics show that 99% of the voters, 99.8% of the voters, um, had no problem filling out the ballot, and that many voters did vote for second, third, fourth choices in that particular race. Um, A handful of voters, or even a a few thousand voters, um, voted for one of the two um, minor party candidates or non-unenrolled candidates and uh, did not vote for either uh, Golden or Poliquin. Um, but that's not unusual. 
And that does not show that the voters were confused. I think there was really good information about uh, the number of voters that did not vote for Poliquin or Golden at any ranking level was was comparable to the number of voters in previous elections who did not uh, choose to uh, mark a ballot for one of the candidates in a congressional election or a Senate election or other comparable elections. So well, on that note, too, I presumably there were a lot of people who voted for Poliquin who didn't pick either of the other three in ranking either. Yes, there were there were a large number of, of voters who, who who participated in that way. And I think their argument was that that showed that they were confused or that they didn't um, understand what their options were or something along those lines. And I just I didn't think that that argument carried a whole lot of weight. Um, well, and it's a little surprising. I, I think voters are, are intelligent enough to make these decisions. They understood the ballot, and they have a right not to vote uh, if they don't want to vote for second, third, fourth choices. They they perhaps just exercise that right. So I really don't think it proves confusion. Well, and I was going to say it's a little surprising for the Poliquin campaign to make the case that their own voters were confused when – they kind of told their voters to just vote for one. I mean, that was part of the the way that they were responding to ranked choice voting. To a layperson in the courtroom, it seemed pretty significant that this expert uh, witness that they called, who most of the day was focused on, is Professor James Gimple. He's uh, apparently an elections expert who has published, who's won awards, but admittedly not a ranked choice voting expert. Uh, he had to admit that his estimate that Mainers were confused was based entirely on looking at the numbers and that he hadn't actually spoken to a single main voter. That seemed like, I don't know, if you were watching a courtroom drama on TV, that would be like the dun-dun-dun kind of moment. Is that really legally significant, or did it just seem kind of like a dramatic admission? I think taken together with the fact that he was not able to look at the election results data and point out to any really good examples of people being confused. He really had nothing other than uh, sort of a abstract academic opinion um, without any kind of support. So I, I think that, you know, it was a very thin um, piece of testimony from that expert. It really didn't have a lot of you know, weight or credibility to it, considering that he was basically saying, something pretty profound about the election. So um, I think the judge said he would give it the weight it deserved. And um, I, I think it personally didn't deserve a whole lot of weight. Right, right. The judge uh, overruled all of the objections raised by both sides, but then made comments that often made the that was made the courtroom laugh. Uh, so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. We're talking about uh, ranked choice voting, the Poliquin campaign's challenge to that and to the election results in Congressional District 2. We'll also eventually move on to talking about the future of ranked choice voting. Uh, and we are joined in the studio uh, by Ann Luther, League of Women Voters of Maine, who's also host of Democracy Forum here in WERU. She is here today as a guest. Also Kathleen McQuaid, who is a professor emeritus of political science and active in Maine politics on the phone. We have uh, joining us, um, who you just heard speaking, John Brodigam, who is a counsel for the League of Women Voters of Maine, also a former state legislator and uh, former assistant attorney general. And now also joining us for at least a few moments by phone, we have Kyle Bailey, who was a campaign director for both the original ballot question in which voters in Maine passed ranked choice voting and then also the subsequent uh, uh, challenge to it that Mainers again affirmed that they wanted ranked choice voting. Welcome to Maine Currents, Kyle. Good morning. Good to be with you. So what are your impressions of this? Or what are your thoughts about this challenge and that Poliquin is posing to rank choice voting and in the likelihood that it will succeed? And also, since we have you just for a few minutes, if you want to also weigh in on your thoughts about the future of right choice voting, regardless of which way this is decided. Yeah, well, I would first I would say that, you know, Judge Walker uh, foreshadowed, I think, the conclusion uh, to this uh, litigation and the outcome um, in objecting or, or in ordering that ranked choice voting proceed with the tabulation uh, in Augusta by the Secretary of State, which, by the way, is the Secretary of State's constitutional duty, 
and he really, you know, had an opportunity. Uh, and I'm not a lawyer. You've got John there, who's a great attorney, and can walk through the nuances of the litigation. But you know, from a layperson's perspective, he gave an FYI uh, to the Poliquin team, saying, "Look, on each one of these constitutional questions you've raised, I don't think you have a leg to stand on. Uh, but you know, you'll get your day in court." So I think that that Judge Walker made it pretty clear where this is headed. And my understanding of the the conversation in court yesterday was that um, that, that there seems to be no hiccups in, in that. Uh, and that matches what we've seen across the country with litigation, uh, challenging ranked choice voting. The courts have consistently upheld it. And, you know, I, I've lost track of the number of times we've been in a courtroom uh, so far this year, but every time we've won that challenge uh, to this system. It is uh, it is simple, fair, and easy for voters to understand. It's why voters uh, twice approve ranked choice voting the ballot box uh, by an increasing percentage the second time because people are frustrated with a political system that doesn't work. And they know that changing that system with ranked choice voting, while it's not a silver bullet, is something that we have done and can do to give more voice and more choice to voters and, and put more power in the hands of, of the people. So that's, you know, that's exciting. I think this, uh, this march continues. And you know, I know there are folks across the country who have reached out to me saying, I want to do ranked choice voting in, in my city and state. Uh, Maine has led the way. Uh, it is the bright, shining city on a hill that Americans are looking to at a time when our democracy is not meeting the needs of the people. Uh, and it is something that is happening here and across the country uh, that's galvanizing a lot of energy and enthusiasm because people know that it is uh, one of uh, several solutions that we can adopt to make the process work better. And to, to as David Brooks said from the New York Times, uh, he called it the one reform to save America. And I'm pretty sure that's the direction we're headed is we're going to have ranked choice voting across the country, and it's going to be good and healthy for our democracy, just like every generation has adopted reforms and changes to our democracy that have, that have strengthened it over time uh, and allowed it to advance into, uh, into the future. We've mentioned Judge Walker's opinion on the restraining order in which uh, Poliquin's folks tried to get the uh, process stopped, and, and the judge denied it, the same judge who heard who is uh, proceeding at the hearing yesterday and will make the decision sometime next week. And I just want to quote from that uh, decision on the original, the request for the restraining order to stop the process. He wrote, as it stands, the citizens of Maine have rejected the policy arguments plaintiffs advance against ranked choice voting. Maine voters cast their ballots in reliance on the RCV system. For the reasons indicated above, I'm not persuaded that the United States Constitution compels the court to interfere with this most sacred expression of democratic will by enjoining the ballot counting process and declaring Representative Poliquin the winner. So that does seem to foreshadow where he stands on this. Uh, Anyone want to weigh in on if we're reading this wrong and he does uh, come out against ranked choice voting, uh, either ordering a new election or declaring Poliquin the uh, winner of this election. What can happen legally and politically to as a result of that? Uh, what would well, be the next step? This is John Brodigan. Yeah, let me just jump in there. And I, I would say that would be so manifestly wrong and contrary <laughs> to all the legal opinions out there and all the facts of this case that the only the only sensible thing to do would be for to seek um an, an appeal and a review of that decision I, I really don't expect that we're headed in that direction um but it if it did happen i think we would be up in the first circuit court of appeals to have a review of that decision and we're we have uh, no problem with courts scrutinizing the ranked choice voting law um, we believe it is fully constitutional, and the, and the more courts look at it, the more more judges will conclude that. And uh, you know, we don't we don't mind having a First Circuit opinion um, reviewing, and we believe upholding the law being a precedent for the rest of the country. Kyle Bailey, will we have you with us? Do you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I don't disagree with John at all. And look, there's something to the fact that a lot of issues are being raised right now and worked through. And so um, that is the, the silver lining of, the, of grappling with the litigation right now is while I think it's pretty clear that uh, this is uh, heading in a direction where we're going to be using ranked choice voting uh, in Maine for many, many years to come, uh, that you know, we are working through these issues. And Representative Paul Quinn has asked for 
a recount. He's litigating the First and Fourteenth Amendments and the Voting Rights Act, and et cetera. And so these issues are being addressed by the courts and resolved. Now, it doesn't mean that a political opponents won't continue to try to uh, make hay of these issues as they have consistently. Uh, but I think, you know, the courts consistently ruling in favor of ranked choice voting further strengthens the position of advocates for this reform and, and sends a signal to not only the people but to lawmakers uh, that, in fact, we do have the right to change the way we elect our leaders, that states have considerable uh, room in which to, to adopt different systems for electing our, our leaders. And, in fact, with ranked choice voting, you know, you're not settling for someone who just gets the most votes in the first round, but you're trying to reach that consensus conclusion. And that's what we really want from our elected leaders, is people who have the ability to reach out not just for first-choice rankings, but second-choice rankings, to win that runoff election by reaching out beyond their base, appealing more broadly for support, and a more healthy competition, so they're really accountable to the people, and not just to a narrow faction of supporters, but to people more broadly. And, and I think that this, uh, this litigation is part of that story and helping to shape that narrative, that that, in fact, is what ranked-choice voting does. Um, and it helps to it really give more voice to the, to the people. And... That's uh, that's the direction we're headed in. I think it's a this is an exciting time for us in Maine. We're leading the way, and it's an exciting opportunity for us to to change the way we elect our leaders and hopefully expand ranked choice voting beyond the primaries and federal elections to have it in the governor's race and legislative races as well, because we need it from the top to the bottom of the ballot. All right, Kyle. I know you have an appointment and you need to go, but thank you for joining us and uh, weighing in on this. That was Kyle Bailey. He was campaign director of the couple of campaigns that helped pass and then sort of reaffirm ranked choice voting in Maine. Ann Luther, uh, Kathleen McQuaid, either of you want to weigh in on this last question before we move on? Well, I mean, it's interesting to reflect this at, at this moment in time. Um, it's the Republicans who are challenging ranked rank choice voting, but that's just this moment in time. There's nothing systematic about ranked choice voting, uh, voting that disfavors Republicans. Um, we had a, a fellow come to Maine uh, a couple months ago from Australia where they've been using ranked choice voting for over 100 years. And Australia got ranked choice voting when the conservative majority used it to block a social Democrat upstart. And they've been using it to elect their parliament. So they use it in national elections to uh, to elect their parliament for over 100 years. Sometimes it's going to help conservatives. Sometimes it's going to help liberals. Sometimes it's going to help Democrats. Sometimes it's going to help Republicans. It's not a, a partisan skew at all. In fact, in San Francisco, when they first used it, there was a lot of pushback because the leading candidate in the first round was a Democrat, and she got overturned in the second round runoff by um, an in independent unenrolled candidate. And so in that case, it was the Democrats who were pushing back on ranked choice voting. This is a nonpartisan solution that, as Kyle said, um, helps people find that consensus candidate that can represent the majority. Kathleen McQuaid. Um, well, in the United States, there are nine other states that a number of municipal elections are s decided by the ranked choice voting or instant yep. runoff voting. And uh, I think if we would do an analysis and look at the outcomes in those elections, we might see that there's higher voter turnout in those municipalities because uh, you do have the opportunity to broaden the representation that any one candidate would offer. They have to offer something to, of a broader perspective. They can't have one single item on their candidacy agenda because that would uh, narrow their opportunities to draw support. So uh, the, the community, the voters, obviously come out better when even not their non-first choice uh, is selected because the person that comes out second clearly has some affinities with the person that they would have chosen first. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, a gain for the quality of the governance of those communities when you have this system in place. Again, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. We're talking about ranked choice voting in Maine, the challenges presented to both the ranked choice voting process and the results of the Congressional District 2 race by uh, Bruce Poliquin. Uh, there was a court hearing about that yesterday. And also the future of ranked choice voting. And uh, my guests in the studio again are Ann Luther, League of Women Voters, Maine, and also a host here on WERU, the Democracy Forum. She's joining me here as a guest today, Kathleen McQuaid, who's a professor of 
Emeritus of Political Science. And uh, we just heard from Kyle Bailey, one of the campaign managers of the push to originally pass ranked choice voting. And he is has uh, left us now. And also John Brodigan, who's a senior advisor and counsel for the League of Women Voters of Maine. And uh we're going to open the phone lines now, although we do already have a caller, so you'll get a busy signal. Hang tight. We only have one phone line open now because we've got John with us by phone. But the number is 469-0500 if you have any questions about this topic or if you'd like to weigh in on right choice voting and how easy or difficult you found it to uh, follow the process. Uh, we have Kim Tucker joining us now by phone. Kim's an attorney. Uh, you've heard her here on Main Currents in the past on other topics. But uh, what you may not be aware of is that uh, back during the um, – Bush-Gore election crisis in Florida. She was working for the Attorney General's office there at the time, did for many years in Florida, and was part of writing the uh, Supreme Court brief on that. And so she has a lot of uh, elections background. She was in the courtroom yesterday as well, and I asked her to call in today and give her impressions of how things went in court yesterday. Welcome, Kim. Hi, thanks for having me. After all of that, I was thinking, he didn't put the last name on the card when he held it up. I hope I have the right Kim, so I'm <laughs> glad it was you. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, what did you think yesterday? Well, I, um, I thought it was interesting, having watched the uh, temporary restraining uh, uh, oral argument the other week, and then seeing this, how the uh, Poliquin uh, lawyers have shifted their uh, argument. They've almost it, it, seemingly they abandoned their argument that they originally started with that this violates Article One, Section Two of the Constitution, um, and uh, trying to argue around the fact that the state has the right to, under Article One, Section Four, to determine uh, the time, place, and manner of elections unless otherwise um, uh, litigated or, or legislated by Congress uh, determining something. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought it was. Uh, their expert uh, was pretty weak, um, both in his knowledge of ranked choice voting and how he presented that, but also the fact that he didn't bother um, speaking to a single main voter. Uh, and, and one thing that Jamie Kilbreth brought out during cross-examination was he, that he's the, the attorney Republican for Jerry National... Golden. Excuse me? Oh, I, yes. I was just letting yes, listeners know, yeah. Yeah, Jamie was representing... Um, uh, Jared Golden, and he brought out in his cross-examination of their expert um, that uh, the Republican National Committee had apparently spent a significant sum of money trying to find um, a main voter who said that they were confused by our ranked choice voting ballot and couldn't find one. Um, I think they said $50,000. Yeah, and in in none of the affidavits that were filed uh, by the three named plaintiffs including uh, Representative Poliquin, did they allege that they were confused uh, by the process? They said they were disenfranchised and other things, but they did not say they were confused by it. So I thought that was significant. And one of the things that their expert ignored and that the argument yesterday ignored was that uh, both um, Tiffany Bond and Will Hoare have said, Tiffany Bond, in, in fact, in the proceedings, have both said that if it wasn't for ranked choice voting, they wouldn't have run for office. So um, it, it's not just an issue of uh, changing the rules of the game, but changing the rules of participation. Or, or people made decisions to participate as candidates and, and give a, a broader range of access of opinions and thoughts to voters to choose between because we had this option in Maine. And they didn't, but neither one of them would want to be a spoiler um, in an election. Um, and so I thought that was significant that they ignored that point because it's a significant fact um, it, it, to try to uh, play, a, play an election out under one set of rules um, and then change those if you don't like the outcome. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, the Bush v. Gore decision from the Supreme Court said you can't change the rules of the game after an election and um, that, that uh, should be adhered to. Well, you're getting the head nods thought... from the guests here in the studio. I don't know about John. <laughs> John? Yeah. Do we have you there, I... too? Are you nodding your head in agreement as well? Yeah, I am nodding my head okay. in agreement. I think that's absolutely right. I think that, you know, the, the Pollockman team has asked for a variety of different kinds of outcomes here, ranging from, you know, just uh, send it back to the state and let the state try to figure out what to do with it to, you know, reversing the decision to ordering a new election. And, uh, you know, we don't think any of those is very, it's very appropriate or very likely here. Um, but we do think that, that uh, 
be a significant harm um, to the voters. And so, therefore, we, we just don't think any of those solutions is appropriate here. Kim, you were about to say something else? Well, back... Um the issue under Article One, Section Two, really actually has been decided in the past by um, by other courts, and they've said that, uh, contrary to what what they said in uh, the Poliquin people have argued, um, that there is no requirement that you choose between either plurality or majority as your choice. States are free to do that, and there's so that. Um, Significantly, there uh, are a number of dis- uh, cases or, or a number of states that have chosen uh, to choose their candidates by majority. You, you just saw the runoff down in Mississippi. Um, so if any candidate doesn't get 50 percent on a Senate or a, a U.S. House race, they have to run uh, in a runoff election in those states, a separate runoff as opposed to instant runoff, which is another thing that people call uh, ranked choice voting. But in the states that do that, for their overseas and military uh, ballot recipients, the absentee ballot recipients that are either in the military or live overseas, in Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, and also uh, some uh, local jurisdiction in Illinois and Springfield, they all have those overseas and military ballot recipients um, do rank choice voting when they get their absentee ballots so that they can participate in any potential runoff. Um, and they completely ignored that that is, is a system that's been done for years in those other states. And never been um, challenged. And it's the way court, that right? those states protect the ability of those voters, um, some of our most cherished voters, talking about the military, um, to be able to participate uh, in the runoff election, because otherwise, timing-wise, they wouldn't be able to do that. So it actually expands participation. Kim, we'll let you go in just a moment so we can open up the phone lines and also because I know you're busy, but I don't know if you heard uh, Ann Luther was asking if that has been those absentee balance, ballots being ranked choice for the instant runoff, if that has been challenged legally that you're aware of? I have not found any challenge to that, but there have been challenges to requiring uh, a runoff and having a majority as opposed to plurality uh, in, the, in a Georgia case that was upheld both in Georgia and by the 11th Circuit. And prior to that, uh, the position that said that um, you don't have to choose, that you can either have plurality or majority, that, that Article One, Section 2 doesn't specify that, that was upheld and affirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court as well. So. Um, I think there's a very strong ground on both of those those things. And then there's been other, um, the Minnesota Supreme Court, for in, in, instance, held up, uh, uh, upheld the um, ranked choice voting as constitutional on all the other arguments that were raised by Poliquin that you heard them talking about yesterday. They already rejected those, the effectiveness and all the rest of those uh, due process and equal protection claims they made. That's been rejected by the Minnesota Supreme Court. Thank you for calling in, Kim Tucker. Thank uh, you very much, you guys. Always always good to hear from you. And uh, that opens up the phone line. So if you have been trying to get through, the number here is 469-0500. It's Maine Currents, Independent Local News, Views, and Culture. We are on until 11 o'clock, but we will stop taking callers at 1055 to wrap up. So uh, if you get a busy signal, uh, keep trying because we do only have one phone line open for callers now because we have a guest on the other phone line. And uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking about ranked choice voting and Poliquin's challenge to it. And we uh, do have another caller waiting. I believe we have Amy Freed with us, uh, uh, Professor Amy Freed, who's the uh, department head of political science at University of Maine. I hope that's the right, Amy, because I just got a first name on the uh, card again. Uh, John's multitasking, John Greenman Engineering Force doing a great job. Is this Amy Freed? Yes, great. it is. Hi. So Amy was in the courtroom yesterday, morning. too. She was part of the whole, um, I had like the group of great consultants around me, as I said earlier, explaining what was going on, and Amy was there, too. Uh, you wanted to talk about your impressions of the expert witness that they called yesterday. Sure, yeah, because... Um, uh, Professor Gimple is a political scientist, as am I, and um, he is someone with a reputation in the field in terms of research on campaigns and elections. However, he is not an expert on ranked choice voting, making him, you know, somewhat of an odd choice for that. Um, and I also seemed it also seemed to me that he wasn't really terribly aware 
a lot of uh, Maine politics, how Maine politics tends to proceed in terms of the number of people who vote for independence and support independent candidates, uh, whether or not they have a strong likelihood or any likelihood really of being elected. So he didn't really have good comparisons. He couldn't really make comparisons to past elections. Um, and he he hadn't talked to any voters about their, you know, their sense of the the 2018 race in the congressional district, yet he was making all kinds of claims that voters were confused. Right. He also said that there's a lot of, uh, uh, there have been uh, studies that indicate that people who vote independent are very low information voters, that they tend to uh, be far less informed about politics than people who vote Democrat or Republican. Didn't give the dates for that, or nor did he specify whether or not any of that had been done in Maine either. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I wondered if that even would have changed after or with the most recent presidential election. Yeah, I mean, what he was saying about that is pretty standard political science research findings, although, it's, of course, it's not true of every independent. It's, it's some independents more than others, but compared to partisans, often they don't follow uh, races as closely. Uh, but, you know, it's, I don't know of any main data that shows that. This is just from lots of national studies, and it's certainly possible that that's not true for Maine independence. But even if it was, I, I really wasn't clear why that would be a problem. I mean, I, I, I think just it seems to me his argument was that voters who were voting for just bond or whore or just bond and whore, in other words, did not vote at all for either Paula Quinn or Golden, were disenfranchised because they hadn't had a chance to vote in the runoff round and that they would have been confused and misinformed or, you know, just didn't have the information to know that their candidates were unlikely to end up in the runoff round. Well, I, I in this particular race, that seems really quite impossible because both bond and whore uh, spent zero dollars. <laughs> they didn't have a single ad. They had very low profiles. They were in the debates. It just seems like very, very unlikely that there would be anybody, um, you know, who really thought that they were going to be progressing to the runoff round. So, I mean, it just didn't even didn't even make sense with that. You know, another thing, and I'd be curious to hear. Um, John Brodigan's view about this, but I mean, the the other thing was that his concern was with these voters, the bond whore only voters, but the case that Poliquin is bringing, their brief, says that it's on behalf of voters who voted for Poliquin and nobody else. And on cross-examination, Professor Gimple was asked if people who voted for Poliquin were disenfranchised, and he said he basically said no, their votes were part of the final tally. Mm -hmm. So why, why did, how does that help help the Poliquin case? The Poliquin case is for the voters who voted just for Poliquin. Well, let and if they weren't disenfranchised, what's the problem? Right. We'll let uh, John answer that. Thanks for calling in, Amy Fried, uh, professor of political science and head of the political science department at University of Maine. We'll uh, let you go so that we can uh, uh, free up the phone line for other callers, but we appreciate you taking the time to call in, Amy. And uh, John Brodigan, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, as, as always, Amy makes a good, a good point. As a legal matter, I think... Uh, you know, you really do need to focus on the case that's in front of the court, which was these voters who really only claimed that they voted for Poliquin and nobody else. Um, so the uh, arguments about harm to other kinds of voters are not, strictly speaking, relevant. The judge allowed all of that in. I think the judge was being uh, more than fair to everybody to, to not exclude any of that kind of information. But ultimately, I just don't think it's, it deserves a lot of weight or consideration since it's not really quite on point with the legal arguments that are being made here. All right.
right. Well, let's leave yesterday uh, behind us. We'll look ahead to next week and hearing what the how the judge rules, and we'll move this conversation to uh, looking ahead to whether or not this could be expanded to state races and what would be involved in that in the last part of the program today. But we do have a caller. Go ahead. What's your name and where are you calling from, please? Hi, uh, Fred and Tenants Harbor. Hi, Fred. And uh, I thought the comment, I guess, uh, Anne, you made it that uh, – the political party as it exists now uh, feels or knows that ranked choice vote is a threat to them because of their extreme and narrow uh, propositions to the voters. And uh, that's and I and I I was just amazed how clear the ballot was for ranked choice voting, uh, given all the blather. Well, and I was quoting. Okay, thanks a lot. I was. Quoting Steve Missler, who was reporting from Maine Public and made that comment on the air over the weekend, I and mean, that was his assessment. And um, I, I, you know, I like I said, this is not a partisan reform; it's a nonpartisan reform. But if what he said was true, it's um, it explains why the Poliquin campaign is fighting so hard to discredit it now. And you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM, and uh, we are talking, obviously, about ranked choice voting here in Maine, Poliquin's challenge to it, and talking now about moving forward and possibly getting it, uh, the state constitution amended, the plurality clause changed to majority so that this could uh, be applied in statewide races, and... Uh, We'll put a pin in that because we do have another caller, but I just want to mention again my guests in the studio are Ann Luther from League of Women Voters, also host of Democracy Forum here. And uh, we have John Brodigam, who is a senior counsel for the League of Women Voters on the phone with us, and Kathleen McQuaid, who is a, a political science professor emeritus and uh, a, a active in Maine politics, joining us as well. And go ahead, caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Frank Lemoyne. Hey, Frank. I thought when ranked choice first started, it was I was under the impression we would have it so we could have a majority of the vote for governor. And then when ranked choice came around, the governor's race was not included. That's a perfect segue. That is a perfect segue. That uh, well, good. I'll send you a bill. I was <laughs> <laughs> just curious. Why didn't I thought that was the whole premise that, that that's my reading of ranked choice, so we would have a, a majority leader and not spoilers and get stuck with what we were stuck with for a while. Yeah, it's that tricky little plurality clause that I was mentioning earlier that's in the state constitution. That's why the state Supreme Court ruled that it couldn't apply to statewide races. Uh, Ann Luther, do you want to jump in there and talk about, start off the conversation about what would be involved in getting it so that governor's race also had ranked choice voting? Well, based on... All the races, everybody. Right, right, yeah, the statewide races, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Frank. I mean, based on the... uh, um, a, opinion that we got from the state Supreme Court, it would take a constitutional amendment to elect the governor and the state legislative races by ranked choice voting. Um, so that requires a two-thirds vote in both chambers, like two-thirds in the Senate and then two-thirds in the House of Representatives in the main state legislature. And if it crosses that bar, then it goes again to the voters where a simple majority would prevail. Um, the the hurdle of getting over the two-thirds in both chambers is a very, very high hurdle. So it's hard to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot because you have to get a certain number of members from both parties to agree. Now, coming into this legislative session, the Democrats have quite a historic majority, and so, but they don't have enough. You know, So if it were a, a straight-line party vote, it would not be enough. It will still require some Republicans to support it in order to go ahead with the constitutional amendment. Kathleen McQuaid, as someone with a political science background and you taught state and local government, now you're really involved in politics here in Maine, and I know you support this. Do you think there's the political will to try to uh, get enough votes to make that happen in the state? I wasn't in Maine when the uh, initiatives went through initially, so I don't know what... uh, base they had for activists to move ranked choice voting. Um, I do remember the second vote on it for the 54%. I was here by then. Um, It would be extraordinary. However, the way the issue would be defined would be the determinant in whether you could literally have candidates running for state house and state senate have to take a pledge as to their support or opposition to the issue. I was looking at 
some data for the state turnout to try to ascertain whether that was possible, just coming from this election. And I saw that um, Ballotopedia, for instance, had said there were 36 battleground seats in the Maine legislature. I went in and looked at the outcomes of many of the, well, all of the House seats, and I uh, counted something like um, 19% of the results were in what I called highly competitive districts where the difference was like 53% to 47% or less. So where you have the opportunity to frame the issue of rank choice for state and municipal elections, if you can effectively use the right terminology, sell it in that way, get to the point where you can get candidates to say, this is, you know, we will pledge to do this. The door is open in that way. Um, I'm not sure how that would work in the second congressional district. I think it wouldn't be very difficult in the first congressional district at all, but I'm not sure how it would play out up here. But since ranked choice voting got passed through the Citizens Initiative twice, um, perhaps the legislature would listen to that. John Bodigam, as a uh, former legislator, you have sort of an inside view on this. What is your take? What I would add to to what's already been said is that we now have the primary election in 2018 and the general election in 2018, and notwithstanding the recount and the lawsuit, um, the noise from those those efforts, uh, these elections ran very well. Um, they were smooth. They, they, they answered a lot of the questions that um, some of the critics had. Um, and people have become accustomed to it. And frankly, they like it. They like ranked choice voting. And so I think with time, it's going to um, catch on. And I think the popular support for it will increase. And I don't know what um, the current legislature will say if asked about submitting a legis- uh, constitutional amendment to the public. But I think we're on an upward trajectory, and people will appreciate the value of ranked choice voting more and more as they have experience with it. All right, thank you. We have another caller. Go ahead, caller. What's your first name? Where are you calling from, please? Hi, this is Gray from Warren. Hey, Gray. It's a great show, and I'd just like to state that uh, I'm a firm supporter of uh, instant runoff voting, which is I think is a better name uh, for it it, because it makes it like – a sports tournament, you know, where you have finals and and all of the people who've made it so far get to to compete. And uh, people people like sports tournaments; they can relate to how they work. And that's it's a way of weeding out uh, weeding out candidates and getting, as as one of your uh, guests said, getting a, a more consensus candidate. Um, and, but I do. I think there is one way that somebody could attack it, uh, as far as confusing the voters, which is I don't know if voters were informed that they should not vote for someone that they didn't want in. In other words, if someone wanted a third candidate, a third-party candidate, uh, but thought that. Uh, uh, Paula Quinn's opponent, I forget his name because I'm not in that district. Um, Jared uh, Golden, the, William Hoare, uh, Tiffany Bond. Yeah, it, anyway, uh, if a person, uh, instead of, uh, people might not have understood that they shouldn't vote for someone that they didn't want in. They might have just said, well, we've got to rank them in order. And they would vote for a person they didn't want in just because they thought might have thought that they had to vote rank everybody in the list and uh that's the only area of confusion that i can think of that uh uh, a voter who was capable of holding a driver's license could uh could could really fall into i mean it's it's not a difficult thing to uh, order your priorities uh in in an election and i just don't think it's much of an issue, except for that one one thing where people, you know, if you didn't want Poliquin at all and you put him on as your third choice uh, or your second choice, um, 
you might you might have, that might have have swayed the election a bit because he would have had had a, a second round vote unless I'm totally mistaken in my logic. Well, let I'll me jump in on that. But, all right, thanks, thanks Gray. And I think that's the last phone call we're going to have time for today to give our guests a chance to weigh in on that and give some final thoughts. So Anne Luther would like to respond to that question. Well, the, the way our law works in Maine is that you get to rank all the candidates. So your ballot has room for you to rank everybody. And you don't have to rank somebody you really hate. But if you rank that person last, your ballot will never count for that person because the way the law works is it runs through the ballots on their, until there are only two candidates left. And if there are only two candidates left and you rank them all, obviously you ranked somebody else higher than the candidate that you hated most. And so when it comes down to it, your ballot is going to count for that other person not for the one that you rank last. Cut short, your ballot will never count for the person you rank last if you rank them all. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, you know, the danger that your ballot is going to go for a candidate that you detest, I mean, you never have to put that down. You could, in this case, have gone, um, you know, whore, bond, golden, and left Paula Quinn off altogether, and that would have been the same thing as ranking Paula Quinn in the fourth slot. All right. Well, while you've got the microphone, do you want to give your final thoughts about the future of ranked choice voting and uh, the importance of ranked choice voting? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm very excited about this reform. I've been working on it for a, for a really long time. I've been pleased to see it embraced by the people of Maine, and I've been um, so impressed with the professionalism with the, with which our election officials conducted the ranked choice voting election and now going into this recount, everything has been done in the most possible, the most transparent way possible with the highest level of professionalism. In a way, we welcome this transparency and uh, look forward to the outcome and moving on to implement ranked choice voting in more towns and in more state elections. Final thoughts, Kathleen McQuaid. Um, I think the system having been put in play finally gives the electorate a voice, uh, many voices, to make better choices. And um, unlike some of the political theorists from the past that said voters are fools, we're not. And 40% of the population has a college degree, Um, 80%, 90% are high school graduates. We want them engaged in the political process. We want more candidates, which we're getting into ranked choice voting, and we certainly want more voters. And I think this takes us in those directions. And John Brodigan, uh, your final thoughts about uh, the ranked choice voting process and the future of it and the importance of it. Yeah, I think you agree with everything Anne and Kathleen said. And just coming from a lawyer's perspective, uh, I think it's important to point out that ranked choice voting actually – um, advances and supports and expands constitutional values of voter participation in our democracy. And actually, contrary to the ar- arguments against it, uh, with ranked choice voting, you know, we have a more complete um, expression of the voters' uh, will and their intention, and it encourages more participation, encourages more civic campaigns, and uh, it really is all about enhancing our democracy. So. It is a little bit ironic that there are constitutional arguments being made against it when the whole purpose of it is to support people in their participation as voters in our democracy. All right. And uh, Luther, League of Women Voters has been really trying to educate people about the ranked choice voting process. Where would you direct anyone who's listening today and would like more information? We have a lot of information on the League's website. That's lwvme.org. You can read a lot about the current state of play, how ranked choice voting works, their off-site references. And um, if you don't get your questions answered there, you know, you can always email us and we'll give you a, um, an answer off off the record. One of our volunteers was among those who actually took the cast vote record, used an Excel spreadsheet, and duplicated the Secretary of State's answer. So down in the nitty-gritty, if you want to do that yourself, just let us know and we'll send you the directions. You want a math geek out on the <laughs> yeah, whole process. right, right. right. <laughs> I also want to mention, too, as we're wrapping up, that uh, Anne, as I mentioned earlier, hosts Democracy Forum. And uh, last Friday, she had a great overview of a wrap-up of the past elections that will be re-airing holiday edition on the 21st of December in their regular time slot at 10 a.m. And that is your usual time slot, third 
third uh, Friday, Friday of, of the, the month. month, 10 to 11. Do you know what you're doing in January yet? Oh, we have a great show coming up in January. Thanks for the plug. But Kathleen Hall Jamison from the Annenberg Center is going to be joining us to talk about her new book, Cyber Wars, in which she does a forensic examination of interference through social media in the 2016 election. We're really looking forward to it. Great. I get to engineer, so I'll get to hear it. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. Thank you. So thank you to all of my guests today for joining us. John Brodigan, thank you for being with us for the hour by the phone. Uh, John is uh, uh, the senior counsel for the League of Women Voters, Maine, as well as being a former um, uh, state legislator and assistant attorney general here in Maine. And Luther that you just heard from? host of uh, Democracy Forum here when she's not being a guest on Maine Currents, and also from League of Women Voters of Maine, Kathleen McQuaid, a uh, p- professor emeritus of political science and a active Maine, uh, uh, what do I want to call it, voter, <laughs> civically active here in Maine, uh, Kyle Bailey, who called in as campaign manager for the efforts to pass ranked choice voting here in Maine, which were successful twice. Uh, Amy Freed, professor and chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Maine, and attorney Kim Tucker. Thank you all for being part of today's program, as well as our callers who, uh, uh, let's see, Fred, Frank, and Gray, who called in, and John Greenman, who engineered today's program. Uh, You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Catch us here on the first Thursday of each month, and stay tuned now for On the Wing with Mark Dyer coming up next here on Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org Hello, this is CJ Walk, your host for Common Ground Radio, which airs on the first Friday of each month at 10am here on WERU, your community radio station Common Ground, brought to you by the Maine 